airwaves, here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. Howdy, hi, Victoria. Stand the man. Hello. Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420-3XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3 double E, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi, and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we catch up with the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. And today's guest has one of the most recognisable voices in Australia. Whether it's hyping up a game show audience, introducing Channel 7's Sunday Night Movie, or on the radio airwaves in Melbourne, John Deeks has done it all, and done it very well. The station with the nicest listeners. Hey, John Deeks, welcome to Pilots and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Now, John, let me join the dots here. A teenager who grew up in Melbourne in the 60s. Probably no prizes for guessing where your transistor radio dial was set. Uh, Well, my first transistor was a uh, crystal set with the antenna hooked onto the bed springs, listening to Arch McCurdy on the ABC Music to Midnight. And uh, that was my introduction to uh, to radio, and uh, my also my introduction to jazz as a very very young lad. Um, but then, uh, as I moved on, my primary radio station of of love was three UZ when they were rock and roll. Now, like so many of our previous guests, you did of course attend a radio school. Well, actually, not one but two radio schools, including the Clark Sinclair Radio Factory, of course, and also the Three AW Radio School. How'd you go at 3AW? My mum heard uh, that AW had a radio school going and getting it together with Dennis Gibbons and a few others. And uh, she suggested that I should uh, apply. And I did. And I was accepted and uh, ceremoniously kicked out after about uh, a month due to the fact that I couldn't read very well. And the, uh, it came to light. And remember, we're talking, I was um, 70 now, so we're talking a few years ago. Uh, I'm dyslexic. So for a young lad suffering from dyslexia, there was an issue with me reading copy. Now, dyslexia back in the, uh, the 50s and early 60s was not as widely known and certainly wasn't handled like it is uh, today. So it was like, oh, John's a slow reader. Yeah. So there's a bit of an issue there. So I wasn't able to um, form the words or read the copy as fluently as I should. The pipes were there, but uh, everything else wasn't. So it was suggested that I go away. And uh, I did. And then uh, I got involved with, I heard about Clark Sinclair 
And I started there, then in a very reasonably short space of time, I was off to my first radio station in, in Griffith. Okay, can we explore that dyslexia a little bit more? For someone who relied on reading as a significant part of their job, it must have been hard yards to overcome. The reason I was able to overcome a lot of the dyslexia or to work with the dyslexia and to improve my reading was back in the day, you would be given every shift, you'd be given a stack of copy that thick where you have to read the commercials. So I was reading a lot that many, six days a week, having to constantly read, read, read. And Bob Cornish, the general manager at 3UZ at the time, said to me, you're stuffing up some of those reads, Dixie. Unless you do better, you're out. So that was a great stimulus to to continue to really focus on the reading. And now, I mean, dyslexia still hangs around me, but uh, only if I'm very tired do I have a problem because you think of the JB Hi-Fi reads, you know, like all those words in 14.5 seconds. Um, it, uh, <laughs> so thank you very much indeed for back in those days where you had to read the copy, you just couldn't come in to a production place and just, you know, oh, do it again, do it again. No, you had one shot, baby, one shot. So who were some of your classmates at 3SA in St Kilda and what were some of the important things that you learnt in your training? Well, uh, the discipline of working in a radio station these days, you have a proliferation of uh, community stations where you can earn your, uh, earn, get your chops and um, make your mistakes, etc. whereas back in the day, you had to go bush, and make them out there, which I did with, with uh, a lot. Uh, but, you know, Clark gave you the chance to actually work within the, the structure of a radio show, and uh, it was great. Very, very good indeed. He was a good teacher. 2RG in Griffiths was your first stop, leaving home, I assume, for the first time. How did you go with that first assignment? Well, being a boy from East St Kilda, having... Well, I had spent some time in South Africa with my sister, but... Uh, this was my first foray into the country, having never really ventured into the bush at all. So at uh, 17 years of age, I ventured off into the wilds of uh, the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area and uh, arrived in Griffith on a Sunday night and uh, began a uh, most interesting eight months, having never worked in radio, never worked in television, my first gig. So it was quite, quite a, an, an introduction, I can assure you, Paul. Griffiths was an interesting town in the 60s and 70s. How did you find the community as a naive young guy in his late teens? Alien. Quite alien. Um, and, uh, but interesting. Very interesting indeed. And uh, uh, it was uh, a fascinating time. And, uh, you know, it was incredible to be out, out in, in the countryside from the wilds of East St Kilda, as I say. And uh, I, I met a nice girl up there and her father was a shearer. And I went to her house for the first time to take her to the movies and I turned up in a, with a suit and tie. Well, that was really something else. I hadn't seen anybody in a suit and tie unless someone was uh, at a funeral or a wedding. So it was, uh, it was interesting and I went out to the shearing sheds and it was great. Who would you like to hear the most? 3GL on the West Coast. 
at 7BU in Burnie for a short time, then back across Bass Strait to another great training ground and home of so many well-known voices over the years, 3GL of course in Geelong. What was the format at the station at the time and what did they have you doing? Well, uh, it was uh, it was a good one, Paul, because it was very general. Uh, I'd left 2RG um, very quickly because I got fired and uh, went down to 7BU for a very short space of time for about a month because I'd already applied to 3GL. Went to GL, spent uh, about two years there, which was just fantastic because you had the surf coast and, you know, it was a lovely place to be and Geelong was uh, really cool and I had a little car, my first car down there, Hillman Minx. And um, it was it was general. Um, and fortunately, Reg Gray, the manager down there at the time, liked me. And uh, so we got on well. And so I had a good time. But it, the format was, was pretty much basic music, the women's program, uh, breakfast and uh, all that. So it was good fun. Listen to John Deeks on the Greater 3UZ 930. So in 1971, it was off to the Greater 3UZ. How'd that come about? And what was your reaction when you first found out that you had a gig in Melbourne's number one radio station? We were absolutely wrapped. And the only reason I got the gig was because the librarian at uh, 3GL knew Bill Gates and Ken Sparks had just taken a job in Adelaide as program director. And I had um, similar kind of tonal pipes to, to Ken. And uh, so I got the gig at uh, 3UZ doing uh, mid-dawn, initially nights, actually, funnily enough, 10 to midnight. But uh, mid-dawn was my regular slot there. And uh, it was quite extraordinary going into a station which had been, uh, I'd idolised and listened to all my life, listening to the likes of, uh, you know, Don Lunn and Alan Lappin and, and all those people and walking into the announcer's room on the very first day and uh, meeting uh, Lunny, Don Lunn, and saying, oh, hello, Mr. Lunn. I've, I've listened to you for years. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for years, Mr. Lunn. He's gone, yeah, thank you, kid. <laughs> and it was, uh, but it was a fantastic place to be, you know, rock and roll. We were number one. No one could touch us. And uh, it was great fun. Great fun. All those iconic UZ names were there at the time. Who initially made the biggest impression on you? Uh, well, Bill Gates was my mentor, and I'll be forever grateful to him. And he was, for me, was the epitome of cool. He was like the George Clooney uh, today for me. He's just He was just so cool. Um, such an And also um, the program director, uh, John McMahon, was also one who was very tough, uh, nuggety Irishman heritage, uh, who uh, struck fear into the hearts of so many. But I was always able to get on with the likes of the people who were very tough, like the Reg Gray in, in Geelong and uh, John McMahon, and uh, you know saw him very much as a, as a father figure. But he and Bill Gates were very instrumental, as was... Um, uh, so many of the, the jocks who were there at the time. And I struck up a very good friendship with Peter Byrne, who was a contemporary of mine there at the time. And, uh, yeah, look, it was great. And I loved working mid-dawn. Um, and I would always prefer to work mid-dawn than doing breakfast, even though breakfast, of course, is the tentpole program for any radio station. But I was better getting up at uh, or going to bed at 5 a.m. than getting up at 4 a.m., I can assure you. 
After coming across to the station with the biggest personalities playing hit music, one of your first assignments was to work with a priest on a Sunday night. With, of course, Father Jared Dowling and the family counsellor. What was your initial reaction to that appointment? Yeah, it was great. And uh, look, Jared and I got on really well. Um, he uh, he took it very, very seriously because he said, mate, they're all listening up in Raheen. I've got to be very careful what I say. I said, yeah. Someone would ring up and go, look, Father, um, you know, I've got six kids, I'm pregnant again, and my husband's bashing me up, and we've got no money, he's an alcoholic, and the kids are going crazy. What can you do for me, Father? I'll pray for you at the end of the show. Next caller. Okay. So, uh, but, you know, bless his heart, he was a good man, and he that's probably very unfair uh, because he did help a lot of people and, and did a lot, but he had to be had to walk a very fine path because back in those days, uh, Raheem was still the uh, uh, epicenter of uh, the Catholic Church in Melbourne, and um, but you know we got on extremely well because I think because we sort of balanced each other out and uh, all that, and it was fun doing talkback for the very first time. Ken Sparks actually started the show; he was the first announcer to do it with him, and then I took it over later on. Now, for every format change that the station has had over 50 years, there has been one constant, and that, of course, is Father Gerard Dowling. Why do you think that is so? Why has he lasted so long? Oh, well, uh, people trust him. He's a lovely guy, and he, uh, has, uh, a, a, he has a softness and a gentleness that you know, we certainly need today. And uh, he does do a, a great deal of good, and he's a, a lovely ear for people who, are, who have got problems, and may he continue to do it for many, many years to come. Now, John, besides the great Don Lunn, who ruled the airwaves for many years, you also worked alongside a couple of other handy early risers in Grant Goldman and Peter Byrne. Firstly, tell us about the late Grant Goldman, an exceptional talent who basically worked right across the country. Well, Grant was a very um, great, great talent, great talent, and, and did extremely well in Melbourne, um, not only on radio, but also doing a tremendous amount of voiceover work. And he uh, he was uh, he was a good guy to have around, you know, very good talent. And Peter Byrne, well, he and I were thick as thieves, and uh, you know, we got on very very well. Uh, again, he was uh, uh, a terrific, uh, a very 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 intelligent man, and he could do all the racing and uh, all, all the coordination, whereas I was pretty hopeless doing a lot of that stuff. But we all had our role to play, and I mean, he was the first guy who. He and I went overseas together with our respective girlfriends um, and uh, Rhonda Byrne, who has gone on to, you know, mega stardom with uh, a lot of books in the US. And so he and Rhonda and my girlfriend at the time, Sue Bell and I took our first trips ever overseas together. And, uh, you know, we were as sick as thieves. And, uh, and I've reconnected with Peter in the last couple of years and he's doing good. Now, Peter always seemed to enjoy hitting the sands with those famous 3UZ beach broadcasts. Do you ever tag along and become involved in any of these? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the, the beach broadcasts were fantastic and uh, both doing them there and as I'm sure we'll get on to, you know, DB Music later on, uh, they were always great fun to do and some fantastic bands that we, we had along as well and there was always lots of uh, free Coca-Cola and you know, bits of uh, rubbish that we could pick up and, and take home. But the beach broadcasts were, were great. And, I mean, again, I got to do so many different things. This is probably the one thing, Paul, in my career. I've been able to do so many different things um, from, from reading news to doing whatever, both in radio and television. It's been fantastic, not just being pigeonholed into one thing. 
Our special guest today on Pilots of the Airwaves is John Deeks. Now, John, radio in the 70s and 80s was full of ringing competitions and request programs that gave the on-air guys a chance to really connect with their audiences. Now, these days, the request programs are gone thanks to, well, Apple Music and Spotify, etc. And with so many double acts and duos on air, they tend just to talk to each other rather than their audience. Do you think radio has become a little bit too impersonal these days? Uh, well, I'm lucky because uh, in later times, and funnily enough, I went back to 3AW and did breakfast <laughs> for, uh, for a little time uh, in, in part of my career, which was quite extraordinary seeing as I got the boot out of there. And that was when they were in La Trobe Street still in there, before they went to Bank Street, before they went to, yeah. Anyway, um, and, and, and just recently I've been doing more work on 3AW, uh, on mid-dawn on an infrequent basis. And it's wonderful to be able to do that reconnection with, through, through talkback and having people coming in and, and talking to you. I, I think programs like um, Christian O'Connell. Okay, so Christian, for instance, has, has really found a niche by connecting in. Certainly on 3AW, their breakfast has been king for so long because they connect with the community. And any station that continually connects with the community uh, aggressively will always do well. So I don't know so much as uh, it, it's sort of being sort of alienating in a way. Certainly the music stations are the music stations and always have been, 3XY and whatever and back in the day. But uh, the AWs and, and the ABCs, very much part of the community. Christian O'Connell, a great example of keying into the community. But um, the stations that do that will always do well. But I think most of them, certainly breakfasts, even when you think back of you know, Triple M with... Uh, um, Eddie Maguire and all that, you know, very, very, you got to, you know, be a touchstone for what's happening in the city. You were on and off at UZ for a number of years and experienced some dramatic format changes in your time. Top 40 radio, personality radio, news radio, even a country format for a while, and UZ music with a Z, of course. Do you think that the station lost its way for a while in search of that right formula? Look, it was interesting because you had, you know, we owned the rock and roll format, the top 40 format for so long. Then when you know, they tried to bring in AM stereo, <laughs> what a joke. But, you know, they tried to bring in some sort of counterpoint to FM and they thought that AM stereo would be just it in a bit. Then that didn't work, but they had to come up with another format because that's when the rock and roll stations, you know, the Eon FMs really came good. So they said, okay, well, what's another format we can do? Uh, all news. Okay, well, that didn't work. Uh, what's country, that's what we'll do. That's what the market needs, country. And, um, you know, so it was was kind of the beginning of the, the end for the greater 3UZ once uh, FM came online, Paul.
Of course, during the 70s, you were part of the Rhythm of the City at DB Music. How did you come to make the move to Flinders Lane? And how was the vibe at the station that was trying to desperately go head-to-head with a very strong 3XY at the time? Yeah, well, uh, I, I was very lucky to connect with a guy called Paul Thompson, who uh, is one of the, the great pioneers in Australian radio and started up a couple of networks. Um, and he, he was a, and is a fantastic guy. And uh, I loved Paul. He was a wonderful mentor. I've been very lucky to have some wonderful mentors. And he was at DB Music uh, and he came in from Sydney at the time. He's an Adelaide guy, came in from Sydney as program director. Brendan Sheedy was the manager and I was doing... Oh, I think there was some shifts. And then I got off doing the shifts and became assistant program director to Paul Thompson. So I got off the air and Paul and I worked together. And it was probably the hardest and most incredibly difficult time of my career because leading up to, so that was 76. And I came very close to having a nervous breakdown. I wasn't on the air I was helping Paul uh, and all, all the announcers would come to me with all their problems and all of that. And I just obviously could not cope with it. And I took a holiday to Europe and I was sitting on a beach in Mykonos in Greece and uh, I had an epiphany and I thought, when I go back, I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. So I went back to uh, the boss, Brendan Sheedy, uh, when I got home and I said, Brendan, I can't take this anymore. Paul had moved on from this stage. Uh, I'm going to quit. He's gone, well, hang on. Before you do that, this was just around Easter 77. He said, before you do that, why don't you go back on the air, work 12 to 3. Ted Bull's just gone. Work 12 to 3 and uh, I'll uh, I'll give you a raise. Okay. So instead of, and, you know, you'd, you'd walk in there quarter to 12, pull your cards, whatever, then go on there and, and you'd be gone by 10 past 3. He said, oh, and uh, also... Um, uh, they're looking for a new announcer at uh, Channel 7 and the uh, guy who's doing it, he's going to go and uh, we've got a new program director down at Channel 7 and coming down and meet him. He's a good guy. So I've gone, oh, okay. So (laughs) I've gone from working 18 hours a day, taking everyone else's problems on. I've got three hours on air. I've got a raise. Plus I've got a gig at Channel 7 doing the voiceovers from 1977 to 2020, 19. So just recently I've retired. So, gee, I'm pleased I went to Greece and had that epiphany, Paul. Yeah, Mykonos and Santorini will do that to you every time, John. Hey, listen, speaking of great breakfast announcers, as we were before, tell us a little about the very talented but very unpredictable Rick Melbourne, who I think was with you at both DB and UZ Music. I didn't work with him at 3UZ. I did work with him at, um, he was brought down, to do breakfast, as you say, at uh, DB Music. I am a huge fan of Rick Melbourne, a huge fan of Rick Melbourne. And I remember, this is when I was, you know, assistant program director, you know, he would, you know, ring you up at, you know, 6 a.m. and going, ah, do this, that, yeah. It was one of those performers. And <laughs> I went into the studio at uh, 7.30 one morning and he was going berserk and he was yelling at me and berating me and everything else. And I stood there, I said, Rick, you can't hurt me. I'm a fan. He's gone, oh, okay. Oh, thanks, Dixie, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
and that's how I felt, you know, like I was a fan and uh, he, he could not, well, he could do wrong in my eyes and he, <laughs> he was a difficult cat to work with or, you know, to, to corral. But, man, I love that guy on air. He, <laughs> he was like there with Don Lime with me, you know. He was, he was just a star, superstar. Now, John, Rick was crazy in the studio but totally out of control with an outside broadcast. Did you ever experience Rick working the crowd in an OB? Uh, I may have. Um, I may have also hidden. So I, I don't. I can't recall anything. I mean, I just remember Rick is uh, <laughs> like I was just like I would sort of see him, and uh, as I say, I, I'm always been a fan in this business, and I see people like well, back in that day when I first started at Three UZ, seeing meeting Don Lund. It was the same with, with Rick Melbourne and, and with others, uh, Graham Kennedy, what have you. I was just like, wow, you know, there's this guy, and um, they've always seemed larger than life, and I was suddenly sort of come on like I'm 10 years of age. Okay, here's a couple of random questions for you. Tell me, what were some of the tracks that would pack the dance floor back in the day at the Star Disco in Mooney Ponds? Oh, you scallywag. How did you know about that? You have done your research, haven't you? Oh, wow. Um, gee, that's right. I remember Stars. Man, that's a good question, Paul. Look, uh, it was disco. So anything that was... So that, that was always good. And uh, Doobie Brothers was always great. Um, that always got him up and running. And um, that was <laughs> that was good fun. Whoa, okay. But I loved it. It was cash money. And uh, it was worth every bit of that $30 I got or whatever. Of course, John, we all remember The Price is Right with some of the all-time great come-on-downers, including Keith Livingston, Sean Cosgrove, Brody Young, Gavin Wood, and, of course, your fine self. That was, uh, that was my first game show my first on-air appearance was with uh, ernie on uh saturday night live and but yeah with uh, with terps at festival hall doing that show was just remarkable and uh, terps and i were the closest of friends who's godfather to my eldest and um i loved him dearly any good stories from the classic come on down days well i remember one time uh well i was the first guy to do the announcing and the warm-up so uh, I would have a, my booth was in, in, in the audience. So I said, no, I want to be part of the audience, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they were very kind. And they said, okay. And, and I worked the audience as well. And I mean, Festival Hall. I mean, wow. I always knew when I walked in there every day that we would record and I'd come around the back through the side entrance and I'd see, you know, like six cars all lined up and all the rest of it. And these huge sets. And I think it'll never be like this again. So I was always taking it all in. So, one day, uh, as you might remember, a lot of the contestants were folks who were um, new Australians or migrants. Uh, they mightn't have known who the third king of Russia was, but they knew how much a fridge cost. So they would, they would come into the show. And uh, one stage, I called out a lady. And it was hot. It was summer, I remember. And, you know, Festival Hall, terrible, hot, long and cold. I called out, uh, Mary Vostopopoulos, come on down. And uh, a lady up the back there with one of those tank tops, you know, the seersucker tank tops. And uh, uh, Mary Vostopopoulos should not have been wearing a tank top because she was a fulsome, fulsome lady. And she's jumped up and uh, in a very excited way. And her bust has gone north, south, north, south, north, south. And this seersucker 
boob tube is holding her in just. And she comes running down the stairs and the boob tube's getting lower and lower. And the end, it's a belt. And there is Mary Vostopopoulos, um, bosoms uh, astray, going left, right and up and down and running towards Ian Turpy, who had a look of fear in his eyes that I have never seen. Um, and uh, that was just one of the many instances of uh, some fantastic times on that show. I'll always remember it and remember it dearly. Another big one of you, of course, was Wheel of Fortune with another great breakfast radio host in John Burgess. Well, Burgess, yeah. Um, it was a funny story because in uh, 75, uh, was it, no, 85, uh, I was sent over to Adelaide to audition for the host of Wheel of Fortune because Ernie was leaving, and but I was still doing Price. So I went over to Adelaide and I auditioned and uh, Burjo auditioned and a few others auditioned as well. And uh, I actually got it. I got the gig. Um, but they wanted me to stay on Price is Right because we were a tight team and it was working well and that's not, you know, upset the apple cart. And uh, Burjo got it and uh, then after... Price is Right finished, John Dean, who was doing the announcing over in Adelaide, uh, was up a ladder cleaning out his gutters and fell off that ladder and was sick and was unable to do the voiceovers. And Paul Waterhouse, the producer, called me up and said, could you come over to, and I, I say Price had finished, come over to Adelaide on Friday and help us out. And uh, that was in uh, 85. And uh, it continued for 20 years after that. And also, again, they had a... <laughs> I just didn't put one person out of a job. I put two because uh, the poor guy who was doing the warm-up as well, I said, well, look, you know, I just don't want to do the voiceovers. I'll get bored stupid. Uh, can I warm up the audience as well? And, you know, God bless them. They had, you know, a pinth of the amount of people we had at Festival Hall, obviously, because it was just in a tiny studio. And they used to give them booze halfway through the show as well, very Adelaide. <laughs> cheese and wine um, between shows when the audience would go outside. So I ended up by working on that and working with Burjo for, um, and darling, you know, belated and, you know, much missed Adriana Exanides for a long, long time. Now, you were a mainstay of the Royal Children's Hospital annual appeal for many, many years. What did it mean to be involved in a day like that? Well, it's fantastic. And I was very lucky because even prior to my 3DB days, because uh, as you would know, it was a 3DB Channel 7 Herald and Weekly Times gig. Um, I was involved via 3UZ. So, um, and probably even 3GL, if I remember, because we would sort of uh, do some remotes from down there. But um, so from basically the start of my career, Paul, till, um, you know, two years ago, Every year, every single year, I never missed one, uh, I was doing the Easter Good Friday appeal. So I saw it from that early, you know, real tin-shaking time, turning up to the loading dock at, uh, uh, in uh, Flinders Street to the Herald and Weekly Times building right through to uh, working at Jeff Shed, uh, which was uh, the, the latest and well, the last since you know, pre-COVID. So it was great and just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. And, you know, when you think, oh, my God, Easter's coming around again. This is you know, like the hardest day of the year. 
And then you'd go down to the hospital and you'd see why you were doing it. And you'd go, okay, I get it. Right, let's go. So wonderful times, wonderful, wonderful times. Very happy because also, I mean, apart from the uh, fact that you're raising money for such a wonderful cause, it enabled you to do something you weren't able to do normally. It's be spontaneous, do your live crosses, having to grab people, do all this, you know, live TV, mate. You know, wow, you cannot do better than working on live TV, which is why I was so lucky to be involved in so much live TV back in the day. Now, talking of live television and versatility, how were you on sport? Now, it's ironic that my career should be at 3UZ, the greatest racing station ever time, you know, and all the rest of it, and Channel 7, the sporting station, right? Mm-hmm. Channel 9, big stars doing the big shows. 7, sport, the people station. So I was, I was doing one of the many things. I said, oh, can I help uh, on that Sunday morning show? You're going to start called uh, the Junior Supporters Club with Peter Landy? Yeah, sure, get down there, you know, read the commercial. Yeah. No problems at all. Anyway, uh, move forward, our uh, wonderful uh, floor manager at the time for the show, and it was live on air, 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, something like that. At about uh, 7.30, he's come to me, and I was a single guy, you know, and having a good time around Melbourne. And, and uh, he said, oh, Dixie, um, he's come up to me, the floor manager's come and he said, oh, Dixie, there's flowers at reception for you. I've gone, really? Sensational. So I've gone downstairs and I'm, Looking around, looking around, looking, looking around here, looking around there, looking around the top of the counter, looking at the, the switchboard and I've gone back up to the floor manager. I said, mate, there's no flowers there for me. He said, Robbie Flower, <laughs> the guest, you dickhead. Oh, geez, sorry. Oh, right. So I've gone downstairs and there's Robbie, you know, very small, diminutive character. He is sitting in the corner, sort of almost rocking backwards and forwards. And I've gone, oh, Robbie, come on, come on up. <laughs> so after that, they kind of said, you know what, Dixie? It's game shows for you, young man, I think. Okay, John, we line them up. Disc jockey, voiceover artist or game show 2IC. Which is your favourite job? My favourite is when I'm supporting. My favourite is when I'm supporting, whether it be doing the weather and supporting the news guy, whether it be the announcer supporting the talent, whether it be the uh, the, the, the the warm-up guy. But um, I've always preferred, uh, it, like doing Tonight Live with, with Visard and all those things, my joy, my absolute joy is working with the audience in the studio as a conduit to the talent having to work to the camera and the audience being the atmosphere. So my joy is to support the talent in front of the camera. And I have been so lucky that apart from one instance uh, and one personality, it has always been an incredible pleasure. Now, I'm not going to tell you. Um, uh, It was incredible pleasure uh, to be able to support the people because they've all been people that I have loved and they have felt confident that I don't want their job. I did it once. I, I hosted Family Feud and it was the most boring year of my life because I was stuck being a host. I didn't want to do that. I kept looking around the audience and wanting to talk to them and be part of them. Um, and instead I was, it was so rigid and, uh, you know, earpiece in and talking to contestants. Nah, nah, I was happy uh, to, to support whoever was on camera. And, and when I started at Channel 7, I went, would go to all the departments, sport, 
promos, this and that, the news department, and go, can I do anything to help? You know, can I help with anything? You need anything? I didn't want any money for it. I just wanted to help out. So I ended up by reading weekend news, by doing this, by doing that. It was a blast, you know. So, so I'm uh, just very lucky to have many strings to the bow. Hi, this is John Reeves, and welcome to from his prayer word. G'day, Pat. Hi, John. You taking the prize. Yeah. Pat Shaw from his prayer word. You have won a postcard from home. Oh, oh You won the boobie. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, pretty scummy with the prizes back in the day there, John. Hey, listen, we've got a dozen or so questions we ask all our guests, and we started off with this one. Where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? He's dead? <laughs> uh, uh, what the hell happened? i gotta, I got to get out more often. This COVID thing's killing me. Um, I have no idea. Um, you know, like yourself, you've probably been to uh, the Dakota building, and so great sadness. Last concert ticket you paid for, John? Oh, Liberace. Uh, no, um, probably Steely Dan. Is there a concert act that you regret never seeing? Probably Frank Sinatra. Probably Frank Sinatra at his peak. In Vegas. There you go. Is there one particular word you had the most trouble pronouncing on air? Easy one, mate. Saturday. I keep going, I used to say Saturday, Saturday. Sad, I have to go, even now I have to say Saturday. So I have to really work through it. Don't ask me why, but that's it. This one's normally, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get those Don't Come Monday orders? Better still, tell us about the story from 2RG where you got the flick in your first job. So here I am, a young lad of uh, 17 slash 18, never been in radio before in in his life, gone to Griffith, and uh, I'm on air six uh, probably eight o'clock to midnight, right? But before that, I'm writing copy, I'm recording commercials, but I'm also on Channel 9 because MTN Channel 9 and 2RG were in the one building and only just in the last six months has the building been torn down. But they were together. So I'm also on-air camera talent. Never been on TV in my life. Never been on radio in my life. Never written copy in my life. Never recorded commercials in my life. All these things for a young teenage boy. So it was too much to throw in. But, you know, there you go. You go and do all these things. So here I am on Channel 9, MTN Channel 9, doing done the birthday book live on camera. Then following whatever, I get a sheet which you'd tear off the wall and go and sit down and say, well, tonight on Channel 9, we have uh, this show and that show and that show and that show followed by that show. And we hope you enjoy your night's uh, entertainment here on MTN Channel 9. I'd ripped off the wrong sheet. And I'm going through the programs for the wrong day. And the cameraman behind is, is trying to do, uh, you know, trying to indicate to me that they're the wrong days. And I'm, what? Oh, no, I seem to have, no, that's not the right one. What? Oh, we've got uh, that program. Oh, uh, and that one and uh, Cop Shop, uh, Division Foot. What? Yeah, good. Thank you. Made a total shambles of it. 
Next morning, Ray Gamble, the manager, calls me in and says, uh, I saw your show last. I saw the uh, performance you put on last night with uh, telling everybody it was on Channel 9. He said, I had all the representatives of our sales department from Sydney in my lounge room watching you and uh, making a complete mess of my, and a fool of my TV station. So, um, you know, you, you're getting the ass. You, you've got the, you got the bullet, son. You can either work out two weeks or you can leave now. And I've gone, oh, gee, all right, Mr. Gamble, I'll, I'll, I'll go now. He said, now, look, I've been wrong in the past, but I suggest you go and maybe spruik in the Meyer bargain basement. I think that might be the best for you. See how you go there. All right, Mr. Gamble. So me and my Honda step through 750 or 75cc or whatever it was, the bike tootled off back to Melbourne. And fortunately, thank you to Clark Sinclair, I got a job straight away at 7BU. So, you know, in defence, it was far too much delay on a kid who had no experience to do all of that. But, hey, there you go. Skyhooks or Sherbert? Hooks. Any reason why Skyhooks? Daryl's not a good friend, but, I mean, you know, I've worked with Daryl on many occasions and now I see them for what they were, but Skyhooks and, and also Sherl because Sherl worked a bit at seven and uh, I had a few funny times with him as well. But, oh, look, you know, they both had their own slots, but I always took Skyhooks as being a bit more edgy. Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Uh Probably the Beatles, but now in 2021, definitely the Stones. I mean, but, you know, again, you know, I mean, it's very hard. But I, back in the day, probably, you know, I, I remember the first time I heard the Beatles was Love Me Do and I was in a little town at the age of whatever it was, um, 66, I was 15, um, in a place called Georgetown at the top of the Tamar in Tasmania at uh, some friend's house that I was staying at and I was listening in to probably 3UZ or 70X and heard uh, the Beatles. And that, that was the, you know, like so many others, that was an epiphany as well. The most treasured piece of memorabilia you have from those early radio days. My voice. Hey, nice one. Biggest news story that broke while you were on air. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think uh, JFK, when was JFK assassinated? I think, because I remember going into the newsroom Oh, no, i tell you what it was. Richard Nixon resigning. That was, that was a big one. I remember being in there, looking at it. Larry Holtz was the news guy, American guy. Um, but there have been some, been some big ones. Uh, that was one. And, you know, dare I say, musically, I remember I was in the production studio and uh, they said uh, Elvis Presley had just died. And that was pretty wild too. John, was there ever a moment that someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? Roy and HG, and it happened. <laughs> Look, there've been a few, and I've gone, wow, uh, okay. But I remember I was at Channel Seven, and uh, uh, I was at my desk writing some scripts, and Roy and HG lurched on top of me, and uh, I got the fright of my life. But there've been, gee, you know, there've been. As I said to you earlier in the interview, Paul, I'm a great fan. So when I see somebody, I go, you know, I'm a bit, I'm very starstruck and I still am today. But the difference is today, I always make a point. If I see somebody, I always say, go up to them and say hello. And like um, I saw Elvis Costello in Sydney and he was at the Opera House taking some photos of something. And uh, I was having lunch with my son 
And I said, just hang on. And I went up to him and I said, Elvis, I've always been a great fan. Thank you for the music and enjoy your time in Sydney and walked away. And he's gone, oh, thank you very much. You know, because you, you don't want to be in their face, but you just, I just want to acknowledge. And as yet, I haven't been told to piss off, which is good. Best words of advice from a program manager? Yeah, look, uh, that's, that's great. And again, I'd probably come back to my earliest mentor, Bill Gates, and that was to, uh, you know, don't talk too much because that's always been my problem, as you can tell. Uh, don't talk too much, keep it tight, and always relate to your audience and, and you know, never get above your station, if you will. And finally, two albums that you would consider the soundtrack of your teenage years. Well, again, we probably come back to the Beatles um, and it would probably be uh, Abbey Road or Sgt Peppers, I guess. I don't know, probably Sgt Peppers, really. And a biggin, Big Brother and the Holding Company with Janis Joplin. For reasons I cannot tell you. Needless to say... She was wonderful and she was Scottish and she was an older woman. She loved them. And I'll leave it at that until we have a beer together and I can tell you the full story. But Big Brother and the Holding Company and the Beatles, uh, probably uh, Sergeant Peppers. Well, based on that answer, John, I'm good for a beer in about 10 minutes' time. Hey, listen, thanks for joining us today on Pilots. You don't survive as long as you have in this industry by accident. It takes talent, takes persistence, bit of luck and a large sense of team, and you've got all of those traits covered in spades. Ah, uh, look, Mr Walsh, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, and I have been extremely lucky to have survived for so long, and thank God still being able to work and uh, enjoy it, uh, and I think that's the key. Um, and also to be able to work through the technology like yourself, being able to uh, work with technology as we've entered into the digital age. When people say to me, what's the biggest change? Well, ones and zeros, man, digital. That's been the biggest change, both in TV and radio and everything else as well. So it's great to be still uh, walking around on two feet, brother. Thanks again, John. Thanks, Paul. John Deeks on Pilots of the Airwaves. Airwaves.